Chapters eight and nine of the Portrait of a Lady by Henry James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. As she was devoted to romantic effects, Lord Warburton ventured to express a hope that she would come some day and see his house, a very curious old place. He extracted from Mrs. Touchett a promise that she would bring her niece to Lockley, and Ralph signified his willingness to attend the ladies if his father should be able to spare him. Lord Warburton assured our heroine that in the meantime his sisters would come and see her. She knew something about his sisters, having sounded him during the hours they spent together while he was at Garden Court, on many points connected with his family. When Isabel was interested, she asked a great many questions, and as her companion was a copious talker, she urged him on this occasion by no means in vain. He told her he had four sisters and two brothers, and had lost both his parents. The brothers and sisters were very good people. Not particularly clever, you know, he said, but very decent and pleasant. And he was so good as to hope Miss Archer might know them well. One of the brothers was in the church, settled in the family living, that of Lockley, which was a heavy, sprawling parish, and was an excellent fellow in spite of his thinking differently from himself on every conceivable topic. And then Lord Warburton mentioned some of the opinions held by his brother, which were opinions Isabel had often heard expressed, and that she supposed to be entertained by a considerable portion of the human family. Many of them, indeed, she supposed she had held herself, till he assured her she was quite mistaken, that it was really impossible, that she had doubtless imagined she entertained them, but that she might depend that, if she thought about them over a little, she would find there was nothing in them. When she answered that she had already thought several of the questions involved over very attentively, he declared that she was only another example of what he had often been struck with, the fact that of all the people in the world, the Americans were the most grossly superstitious. They were rank Tories and bigots, every one of them, there were no conservatives like American conservatives. Her uncle and her cousin were there to prove it. Nothing could be more medieval than many of their views. They had ideas that people in England nowadays were ashamed to confess to. And they had the impudence, moreover, said his lordship, laughing, to pretend they knew more about the needs and dangers of this poor, dear, stupid old England than he who was born in it and owned a considerable slice of it the more shame to him. From all of which Isabel gathered that Lord Warburton was a nobleman of the newest pattern, a reformer, a radical, a contemner of ancient ways. His other brother, who was in the army in India, was rather wild and pig-headed, and had not been of much use as yet but to make debts for Warburton to pay, one of the most precious privileges of an elder brother. "'I don't think I shall pay any more,' said her friend. "'He lives a monstrous deal better than I do, enjoys unheard-of luxuries, and thinks himself a much finer gentleman than I. As I'm a consistent radical, I go in only for equality. I don't go in for the superiority of the younger brothers.' Two of his four sisters, the second and the fourth, were married, one of them having done very well, as they said, the other only so-so. The husband of the elder, Lord Haycock, was a very good fellow, but unfortunately a horrid Tory, 
and his wife like all good english wives was worse than her husband the other had espoused a smallish squire in norfolk and though married but the other day had already five children this information and much more lord warburton imparted to his young american listener taking pains to make many things clear and to lay bare to her apprehension the peculiarities of english life isabel was often amused at his explicitness and at the small allowance he seemed to make either for her own experience or for her imagination he thinks i'm a barbarian she said and that i've never seen forks and spoons and she used to ask him artless questions for the pleasure of hearing him answer seriously then when he had fallen into the trap it's a pity you can't see me in my war paint and feathers she remarked if i had known how kind you are to the poor savages i would have brought over my native costume lord warburton had travelled through the united states and knew much more about them than isabel he was so good as to say that america was the most charming country in the world but his recollections of it appeared to encourage the idea that americans in england would need to have a great many things explained to them if i had only had you to explain things to me in america he said i was rather puzzled in your country in fact i was quite bewildered and the trouble was that the explanations only puzzled me more you know i think they often gave me the wrong ones on purpose they're rather clever about that over there but when i explain you can trust me about what i tell you there's no mistake there was no mistake at least about his being very intelligent and cultivated and knowing almost everything in the world although he gave the most interesting and thrilling glimpses isabel felt he never did it to exhibit himself and though he had had rare chances and had tumbled in as she put it for high prizes he was as far as possible from making a merit of it he had enjoyed the best things of life but they had not spoiled his sense of proportion his quality was a mixture of the effect of rich experience oh so easily come by with a modesty at times almost boyish the sweet and wholesome savour of which it was as agreeable as something tasted lost nothing from the addition of a tone of responsible kindness i like your specimen english gentleman very much isabel said to ralph after lord warburton had gone i like him too i love him well ralph returned but i pity him more isabel looked at him askance why that seems to me his only fault one can't pity him a little he appears to have everything to know everything to be everything oh he's in a bad way ralph insisted i suppose you don't mean in health no as to that he's detestably sound what i mean is that he's a man with a great position who's playing all sorts of tricks with it he doesn't take himself seriously does he regard himself as a joke much worse he regards himself as an imposition as an abuse well perhaps he is said isabel perhaps he is though on the whole i don't think so but in that case what's more pitiable than a sentient self-conscious abuse planted by other hands deeply rooted but aching with a sense of its injustice for me in his place i could be as solemn as a statue of buddha he occupies a position that appeals to my imagination 
great responsibilities great opportunities great consideration great wealth great power a natural share in the public affairs of a great country but he's all in a muddle about himself his position his power and indeed about everything in the world he's the victim of a critical age he has ceased to believe in himself and he doesn't know what to believe in when i attempt to tell him because if i were he i know very well what i should believe in he calls me a pampered bigot i believe he seriously thinks me an awful philistine he says i don't understand my time i understand it certainly better than he who could neither abolish himself as a nuisance nor maintain himself as an institution he doesn't look very wretched isabel observed possibly not though being a man of a good deal of charming taste i think he often has uncomfortable hours but what is it to say of a being of his opportunities that he's not miserable besides i believe he is i don't said isabel well her cousin rejoined if he isn't he ought to be in the afternoon she spent an hour with her uncle on the lawn where the old man sat as usual with his shawl over his legs and his large cup of diluted tea in his hands in the course of conversation he asked her what she thought of their late visitor isabel was prompt i think he's charming he's a nice person said mr touchett but i don't recommend you to fall in love with him i shall not do it then i shall never fall in love but on your recommendation moreover isabel added my cousin gives me a rather sad account of lord warburton oh indeed i don't know what there may be to say but you must remember that ralph must talk he thinks your friends too subversive or not subversive enough i don't quite understand which said isabel the old man shook his head slowly smiled and put down his cup i don't know which either he goes very far but it's quite possible he doesn't go far enough he seems to want to do away with a good many things but he seems to want to remain himself i suppose that's natural but it's rather inconsistent oh i hope he'll remain himself said isabel if he were to be done away his friends would miss him sadly well said the old man i guess he'll stay and amuse his friends i should certainly miss him very much here at garden court he always amuses me when he comes over and i think he amuses himself as well there's a considerable number like him round in society they're very fashionable just now i don't know what they're trying to do whether they're trying to get up a revolution i hope at any rate they'll put it off till after i'm gone you see they want to disestablish everything but i'm a pretty big landowner here and i don't want to be disestablished i wouldn't have come over if i had thought that they were going to behave like that mr touchett went on with expanding hilarity i came over because i thought england was a safe country i call it a regular fraud if they're going to introduce any considerable changes there'll be a large number disappointed in that case oh i do hope they'll make a revolution isabel exclaimed i should delight in seeing a revolution let me see said her uncle with a humorous intention i forget whether you're on the side of the old or on the side of the new i've heard you take such opposite views 
I'm on the side of both. I guess I'm a little on the side of everything. In a revolution, after it was well begun, I think I should be a high, proud loyalist. One sympathizes more with them, and they've a chance to behave so exquisitely. I mean, so picturesquely. I don't know that I understand what you mean by behaving picturesquely, but it seems to me that you do that always, my dear. Oh, you lovely man, if I could believe that, the girl interrupted. I'm afraid, after all, you won't have the pleasure of going gracefully to the guillotine here just now, Mr. Touchett went on. If you want to see a big outbreak, you must pay us a long visit. You see, when you come to the point, it wouldn't suit them to be taken at their word. Of whom are you speaking? Well, I mean Lord Warburton and his friends, the radicals of the upper class. Of course, I only know the way it strikes me. They talk about the changes, but I don't think they quite realize. You and I, you know, we know what it is to have lived under democratic institutions. I always thought them very comfortable, but I was used to them from the first. And then, I ain't a lord. You're a lady, my dear, but I ain't a lord. Now, over here, I don't think it quite comes home to them. It's a matter of every day and every hour and I don't think many of them would find it as pleasant as what they've got. Of course, if they want to try, it's their own business, but I expect they won't try very hard. Don't you think they're sincere? Isabel asked. Well, they want to feel earnest, Mr. Touchett allowed, but it seems as if they took it out in theories mostly. Their radical views are a kind of amusement. They've got to have some amusement, and they might have coarser tastes than that. You see, they're very luxurious, and these progressive ideas are about their biggest luxury. They make them feel moral, and yet don't damage their position. They think a great deal of their position. Don't let one of them ever persuade you he doesn't, for if you were to proceed on that basis, you'd be pulled up very short. Isabel followed her uncle's argument, which he unfolded with his quaint distinctness, most attentively, and though she was unacquainted with the British aristocracy, she found it in harmony with her general impressions of human nature. But she felt moved to put in a protest on Lord Warburton's behalf. I don't believe Lord Warburton's a humbug. I don't care what the others are. I should like to see Lord Warburton put to the test. Heaven deliver me from my friends, Mr. Touchett answered. Lord Warburton's a very amiable young man, a very fine young man. He has a hundred thousand a year. He owns fifty thousand acres of the soil of this little island, and ever so many other things besides. He has half a dozen houses to live in. He has a seat in Parliament, as I have one at my own dinner-table. He has elegant tastes, cares for literature, for art, for science, for charming young ladies. The most elegant is his taste for the new views. It affords him a great deal of pleasure, more perhaps than anything else, except the young ladies. His old house over there, what does he call it, Lockley, is very attractive, but I don't think it's as pleasant as this. That doesn't matter, however, he has so many others. His views don't hurt anyone as far as I can see. They certainly don't hurt himself. And if there were to be a revolution, he would come off very easily. They wouldn't touch him. They'd leave him as he is. He's too much liked. Ah, oh, he couldn't be a martyr even if he wished, Isabel sighed. 
that's a very poor position he'll never be a martyr unless you make him one said the old man isabel shook her head there might have been something laughable in the fact that she did it with a touch of melancholy i shall never make any one a martyr you'll never be one i hope i hope not but you don't pity lord warburton then as ralph does her uncle looked at her a while with genial acuteness yes i do after all End of chapter 8 Chapter 9 The two Mrs. Molyneux, this nobleman's sisters, came presently to call upon her, and Isabel took a fancy to the young ladies, who appeared to her to show a most original stamp. It is true that when she described them to her cousin by that term, he declared that no epithet could be less applicable than this to the two Mrs. Molyneux, since there were fifty thousand young women in england who exactly resembled them deprived of this advantage however isabel's visitors retained that of an extreme sweetness and shyness of demeanour and of having as she thought eyes like the balanced basins the circles of ornamental water set in parterres among the geraniums they're not morbid at any rate whatever they are our heroine said to herself and she deemed this a great charm for two or three of the friends of her girlhood had been regrettably open to the charge they would have been so nice without it to say nothing of isabel's having occasionally suspected it as a tendency of her own the misses molyneux were not in their first youth but they had bright fresh complexions and something of the smile of childhood yes their eyes which isabel admired were round quiet and contented and their figures also of a generous roundness were encased in sealskin jackets their friendliness was great so great that they were almost embarrassed to show it they seemed somewhat afraid of the young lady from the other side of the world and rather looked than spoke their good wishes but they made it clear to her that they hoped she would come to luncheon at lockley where they lived with their brother and then they might see her very very often they wondered if she wouldn't come over some day and sleep they were expecting some people on the twenty-ninth so perhaps she would come while the people were there i'm afraid it isn't any one very remarkable said the elder sister but i dare say you'll take us as you find us i shall find you delightful i think you're enchanting just as you are replied isabel who often praised profusely her visitors flushed and her cousin told her after they were gone that if she said such things to those poor girls they would think she was in some wild free manner practising on them he was sure it was the first time they had been called enchanting i can't help it isabel answered i think it's lovely to be so quiet and reasonable and satisfied i should like to be like that heaven forbid cried ralph with ardour i mean to try and imitate them said isabel i want very much to see them at home she had this pleasure a few days later when with ralph and his mother she drove over to lockley she found the misses molyneux sitting in a vast drawing-room she perceived afterwards it was one of several in a wilderness of faded chintz they were dressed on this occasion in black velveteen isabel liked them even better at home than she had done at gardencourt and was more than ever struck with the fact that they were not morbid it had seemed to her before that if they had a fault it was a want of play of mind but she presently saw they were capable of deep emotion 
Before luncheon she was alone with him for some time on one side of the room, while Lord Warburton, at a distance, talked to Mrs. Touchett. "'Is it true your brother's such a great radical?' Isabel asked. She knew it was true, but we have seen that her interest in human nature was keen, and she had a desire to draw the Mrs. Molyneux out. "'Oh, dear, yes, he's immensely advanced,' said Mildred, the younger sister. "'At the same time Warburton's very reasonable,' Miss Molyneux observed. Isabel watched him a moment at the other side of the room. He was clearly trying hard to make himself agreeable to Mrs. Touchett. Ralph had met the frank advances of one of the dogs before the fire, that the temperature of an English August in the ancient expanses had not made an impertinence. "'Do you suppose your brother's sincere?' Isabel inquired with a smile. "'Oh, he must be, you know,' Mildred exclaimed quickly, while the elder sister gazed at our heroine in silence. "'Do you think he would stand the test?' "'The test?' "'I mean, for instance, having to give up all this.' "'Having to give up Lockley?' said Miss Molyneux, finding her voice. "'Yes, and the other places. What are they called?' The two sisters exchanged an almost frightened glance. "'Do you mean, do you mean on account of the expense?' the younger one asked. "'I dare say he might let one or two of his houses,' said the other. "'Let them for nothing?' Isabel demanded. "'I can't fancy his giving up his property,' said Miss Molyneux. "'Ah, I'm afraid he is an impostor,' Isabel returned. "'Don't you think it's a false position?' Her companions evidently had lost themselves. "'My brother's position?' Miss Molyneux inquired. "'It's thought a very good position,' said the younger sister. "'It's the first position in this part of the country.' "'I dare say you think me very irreverent,' Isabel took occasion to remark. I suppose you revere your brother and are rather afraid of him. Of course one looks up to one's brother, said Miss Molyneux simply. If you do that, he must be very good, because you, evidently, are beautifully good. He's most kind. It will never be known the good he does. His ability is known, Mildred added. Everyone thinks it's immense. Oh, I can see that, said Isabel. But if I were he, I should wish to fight to the death. I mean, for the heritage of the past. I should hold it tight. I think one ought to be liberal, Mildred argued gently. We've always been so, even from the earliest times. Ah, well, said Isabel, you've made a great success of it. I don't wonder you like it. I see you're very fond of cruels. When Lord Warburton showed her the house after luncheon, it seemed to her a matter of course that it should be a noble picture. Within, it had been a good deal modernized. Some of the best points had lost their purity, but as they saw it from the gardens, a stout grey pile of the softest, deepest, most weather-fretted hue, rising from a broad, still moat, it affected the young visitor as a castle in a legend. The day was cool and rather lustreless. The first note of autumn had been struck, and the watery sunshine rested on the walls in blurred and desultory gleams, washing them, as it were, in places tenderly chosen, where the ache of antiquity was the keenest. Her host's brother, the vicar, had come to luncheon, and Isabel had had five minutes' talk with him, time enough to institute a search for a rich ecclesiasticism and give it up as vain. 
the marks of the vicar of lockley were a big athletic figure a candid natural countenance a capacious appetite and a tendency to indiscriminate laughter isabel learned afterwards from her cousin that before taking orders he had been a mighty wrestler and that he was still on occasion in the privacy of the family circle as it were quite capable of flooring his man isabel liked him she was in the mood for liking everything but her imagination was a good deal taxed to think of him as a source of spiritual aid the whole party on leaving lunch went to walk in the grounds but lord warburton exercised some ingenuity in engaging his least familiar guest in a stroll apart from the others i wish you to see the place properly seriously he said you can't do it if your attention is distracted by irrelevant gossip his own conversation though he told isabel a good deal about the house which had a very curious history was not purely archaeological he reverted at intervals to matters more personal matters personal to the young lady as well as to himself but at last after a pause of some duration returning for a moment to their ostensible theme ah well he said i'm very glad indeed you like the old barrack i wish you could see more of it that you could stay here a while my sisters have taken an immense fancy to you if that would be any inducement there's no want of inducements isabel answered but i'm afraid i can't make engagements i'm quite in my aunt's hands ah pardon me if i say i don't exactly believe that i'm pretty sure you can do whatever you want i'm sorry if i make that impression on you i don't think it's a nice impression to make it has the merit of permitting me to hope and lord warburton paused a moment to hope what that in future i may see you often ah said isabel to enjoy that pleasure i needn't be so terribly emancipated doubtless not and yet at the same time i don't think your uncle likes me you're very much mistaken i've heard him speak very highly of you i'm glad you have talked about me said lord warburton but i nevertheless don't think he'd like me to keep coming to garden court i can't answer for my uncle's tastes the girl rejoined though i ought as far as possible to take them into account but for myself i shall be very glad to see you now that's what i like to hear you say i'm charmed when you say that you're easily charmed my lord said isabel no i'm not easily charmed and then he stopped a moment but you've charmed me miss archer these words were uttered with an indefinable sound which startled the girl it struck her as the prelude to something grave she had heard the sound before and she recognized it she had no wish however that for the moment such a prelude should have a sequel and she said as gaily as possible and as quickly as an appreciable degree of agitation would allow her i'm afraid there's no prospect of my being able to come here again never said lord warburton i won't say never i should feel very melodramatic may i come and see you then some day next week most assuredly what is there to prevent it nothing tangible but with you i never feel safe i've a sort of sense that you're always summing people up you don't of necessity lose by that it's very kind of you to say so 
but even if i gain stern justice is not what i most love is mrs touchett going to take you abroad i hope so is england not good enough for you that's a very machiavellian speech it doesn't deserve an answer i want to see as many countries as i can then you'll go on judging i suppose enjoying i hope too yes that's what you enjoy most i can't make out what you're up to said lord warburton you strike me as having mysterious purposes vast designs you're so good as to have a theory about me which i don't at all fill out is there anything mysterious in a purpose entertained and executed every year in the most public manner by fifty thousand of my fellow-countrymen the purpose of improving one's mind by foreign travel you can't improve your mind miss archer her companion declared it's already a most formidable instrument it looks down on us all it despises us despises you you're making fun of me said isabel seriously well you think us quaint that's the same thing i won't be thought quaint to begin with i'm not so in the least i protest that protest is one of the quaintest things i've ever heard isabel answered with a smile lord warburton was briefly silent you judge only from the outside you don't care he said presently you only care to amuse yourself the note she had heard in his voice a moment before reappeared and mixed with it now was an audible strain of bitterness a bitterness so abrupt and inconsequent that the girl was afraid she had hurt him she had often heard that the english are a highly eccentric people and she had even read in some ingenious author that they are at bottom the most romantic of races was lord warburton suddenly turning romantic was he going to make her a scene in his own house only the third time they had met she was reassured quickly enough by her sense of his great good manners which was not impaired by the fact that he had already touched the furthest limits of good taste in expressing his admiration of a young lady who had confided in his hospitality she was right in trusting to his good manners for he presently went on laughing a little and without a trace of the accent that had discomposed her i don't mean of course that you amuse yourself with trifles you select great materials the foibles the afflictions of human nature the peculiarities of nations as regards that said isabel i should find in my own nation entertainment for a lifetime but we've a long drive and my aunt will soon wish to start she turned back toward the others and lord warburton walked beside her in silence but before they reached the others i shall come and see you next week he said she had received an appreciable shock but as it died away she felt she couldn't pretend to herself that it was altogether a painful one nevertheless she made answer to his declaration coldly enough just as you please and her coldness was not the calculation of her effect a game she played in a much smaller degree than would have seemed probable to many critics it came from a certain fear End of chapter nine